for those of you that said amen, amen is right. Rejoice, O child of God. Lift your eyes to see with every morning light again we are redeemed. With every morning light again we are redeemed. Do you see it? Every morning. Every morning we're redeemed. All over again. Or do you sometimes have doubts of that grace? Do you think to yourself, I fail every day. I'm just not good enough. Or maybe you think, I'm just not as good as so-and-so is. You measure yourself up to some sort of expectations or rules and believe my failures are too great. I'm too weak. The salvation cannot be for me. <coughs> We're continuing on in the book of Acts this morning. Pastor Corey wrapped up chapter 14 last week. And today we'll be looking at chapter 15. It's a decent hunk of scripture. Yet through it we'll be reminded that we cannot earn God's gift of salvation. Rather, it comes to us by grace alone. Oh, child of God. I hope this morning that your eyes will be open, that you'll see that His grace is sufficient, and in that we will rejoice. Will you read Acts 15, 1 through 35? It says this, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So, being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them, 
by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinguish, distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related to what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who makes these things known from old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. So then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church, to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood, and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you 
for your great grace. Lord, I just ask that you would speak through me into the hearts and the minds and the souls of everyone that's here this morning. Lord, let that grace be shown to all of us. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. So we're still in the midst of this ministry of Paul and Barnabas, which started out in chapter 13. We see their ministry begin as they were first sent out by the Holy Spirit. They then make their way to Antioch in Pisidia, sharing the gospel message of Jesus to the Jews first. Chapter 13, verses 38 through 39 says, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Within a week, the entire city gathers to hear this message, even the Gentiles. If you remember, the Jews didn't like that. And they confronted Paul and Barnabas. To which they respond in verses 46 and 47. It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For For so the Lord has commanded us saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Well, if you've been with us since we started this book, you should have Acts Acts chapter 1, verse 8 memorized by now. Does anybody know it? No hands? Okay. Do you remember Jesus tells the disciples that they will be his witnesses where? Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And we see that played out here, right? Chapters 1 through 7, and we see the witnesses being taken through Jerusalem. Chapters 8 through 12, Judea and Samaria. Chapters 13 through 28 is to the ends of the earth. So we're in that ends to the ends of the earth part now. Chapter 13, verse 48 says, And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. To the ends of the earth means everyone being freed from everything. Isn't that great? Because you are part of the everyone now. It didn't just stop in Jerusalem or Judea and Samaria. It's now reached Oxford, Michigan. (laughs) Isn't that a reason to rejoice this morning? So as we see, taking this gospel message to the ends of the earth is no walk in the park. Paul and Barnabas are quickly met with opposition and conflict. To the point, if you remember, Paul being stoned in chapter 14. 
Yet what do we continue to see throughout the early church? Perseverance. How many times were they told not to continue on with the ministry? And what do they do? Continue on. Mm -hmm. Paul is stoned. Would have been a great reason to stop, right? Okay, maybe you have gone too far. No. He believed it. The Holy Spirit called them to do this work. And it was not going to fail. So despite Paul's close encounter with death, we see him and Barnabas make their way back to Antioch, continuing to preach the gospel and make disciples. Chapter 14, verses 27 and 28 says, And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. Which leads us right into where we're at here in chapter 15. We start off and we see another conflict immediately. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5 again. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So again, Paul and Barnabas return back to Antioch now. I've got to believe they're probably just a little bit exhausted. Right? But at the same time, they're filled with the Spirit, filled with encouragement. They're pumped up. They're excited. They're sharing all these stories. Like, look at what God has been doing in this ministry. We went out. We came back. I almost died. It was crazy. But God is good. They talk about the salvations, the discipleships. Imagine for a moment them sharing those stories. Think of a missionary today that goes out and goes to some unreached area and comes back and shares these amazing stories. That's what it was like. And it essentially says, I mean, it doesn't take long. It says, and they remain no little time with the disciples. And then another conflict. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, 
unless you are circumcised according to the customs of Moses, you cannot be saved. So imagine again, they're at this kind of spiritual high, they're pumped up, they're excited to survive the stoning, all that stuff, and then these guys come in. Try to tell them essentially now at this point that all the work that they've been doing to the Gentiles wasn't good enough. If you go, if you remember back a few months, I had the pleasure to bring to you a portion of Acts chapter 11, which was the first encounter of the circumcision party. It was interesting on the surface, you know, Corey had asked if I would fill in this morning and I start reading, I'm like, man, I gotta talk about circumcision again? <laughs> talk about some fun stuff? <laughs> but the deeper I got, I, I saw the bigger picture here. And it's, it's awesome. So do you remember the circumcision party? They were a group of strict Jewish Christians very similar to the Pharisees, that believed if a Gentile wished to be saved, he must first convert to Judaism and live by the ritual laws and hence be circumcised. This law of circumcision comes from Genesis, where it specifically states in chapter 17, verses 9 and 10, And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. This sounds like a, a conditional salvation now, right? Convert to Judaism, live by the ritual laws, be circumcised, and then you can receive this free gift. However, as we've seen and will be argued, the Spirit had fallen on the Gentiles without this condition. We've already seen Gentiles come to the faith. The Holy Spirit had fallen on them. So Paul and Barnabas debate with these men. I kind of like that. My personality likes to debate sometimes. These guys, they debated with these men from Judea. And then they were appointed to go up, go to the elders in Jerusalem in an effort to hopefully convince the council and put an end to the expectation. They passed through Phoenicia and Samaria says they were describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, which brought great joy to all the brothers. These guys couldn't stop talking about it, right? They just lived through it, just seen it. They're fired up still. They weren't going to let this little debate hinder them. Their whole way, they're, just, they're stopping at other churches, describing in detail. They're, listen, listen to what happened to the Gentiles. So we see him just as we did at the end of chapter 14, recounting all the work the Lord had been doing to advance the church to the ends of the earth, which meant even to the Gentiles. And this brought great joy. 
There's something powerful about sharing and hearing the testimonies of God's work, isn't there? It's encouraging. I encourage you to keep sharing your stories. Hearing stories of salvation brings joy to our souls. And we're going to continue to see this throughout the story. So finally, they make it to Jerusalem. Again, declaring all that the Lord had done. And then we see in verse 5, that some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So when you're reading through this, you hear this story again, you can't help but see how, I'm going to say, pumped up again and excited Paul and Barnabas were to share their stories, to share the testimonies of seeing these Gentiles come to faith. And as soon as they get there, it says, but, hold on a minute, Paul and Barnabas. Now that you're excited, but hold on. The members of the church were rejoicing in God's grace. All that he had been doing and had been done, the church is expanding, disciples were being made, they were fulfilling the Great Commission just as Jesus had said. But some people didn't like that. But some believers, it's always those people who belong to the party of the Pharisees, rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. You have to understand that this was a major conflict and also a major theological issue. Because realize this, if this rule was upheld, if the circumcision party had their way, it would disband all the work that had been done. All those Gentiles who had received salvation, no, it's not real. Everything that they had seen done, no, it's not real yet. It's only real if they were circumcised and kept the law of Moses. This is huge. Verses 6 through 11. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinguish, distinction between us and them, 
having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. So Peter, there's this, you, can, you have to imagine the debate that was going on. This is huge. Peter stands up and speaks. Let's remember who Peter was. This is the same Peter who lived and walked alongside Christ in his ministry. Yet also the same Peter who denied Jesus at his crucifixion. But also the same Peter who was shown an unfathomable level of grace by Jesus after his resurrection. Didn't deserve it, but he received it. And the same Peter who Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The same Peter who shared a powerful sermon on the day of Pentecost, in which he witnessed the Holy Spirit fall and thousands come to faith. The same Peter who also shared the gospel message to Cornelius, the centurion. The same Peter that went on to say, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This is the same Peter who again witnessed the Spirit falling on the Gentiles. Acts 10, 44-45 says, While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. Why? He said, because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. You see what's happening? Why did Peter stand up to speak? Because he knew the truth. He had seen these things happen. Not to mention Jesus had appointed him to build the church. And that truth is captured clearly in that final statement. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. The salvation is a free gift by grace alone. To everyone who believes. Grace. No conditions. No rules. Not laws. But grace. Remember, grace is getting what you don't deserve. The Pharisees and the circumcision party were right. 
They were actually right to say that the Gentiles didn't deserve salvation. They hadn't been living accustomed to Jewish traditions and teaching. Who are these people to just show up and receive this gift? They didn't deserve it. But that's exactly the point Peter's making here. He says the same grace that we received is for them too. And this grace of Jesus cannot have conditions. Amen. Now we reach this climax in the story. Verse 12, it says, The assembly falls silent. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. The assembly falls silent. I bet they did. Peter just said, Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples? that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. Who are you to speak for God? Who are you to put conditions on this grace? Who are you to disprove everything that we had just witnessed? So convicted, they listened to the signs and wonders God had done through Paul and Barnabas. Again, we see them share these testimonies, which now become real and undeniable to these Jewish Christians. Verse 13, and they finished speaking, after they finished speaking, James replied, brothers, listen to me. Simeon, who's Peter, has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree just as it is written. After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. So we see here that James, the brother of Jesus, the leader of the Jerusalem church, proposes a solution. He starts out by recounting what Peter had just said. He then moves on to quote from Amos and Isaiah to show that they had prophesied long ago that even the Gentiles would be called by his name. He then concludes that Jewish believers should not trouble the Gentiles who turn to God. Rather, they should write to encourage the Gentiles to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. One thing to make clear here with this 
is those things were not conditions on their salvation, rather an effort to elevate the lifestyle and morality of the Gentiles at that time. Okay, because you can read that and be like, wait, hold on a minute, I thought it was grace alone, and now there's these things. It wasn't saying these are conditions on your salvation, it's saying now that you have been saved, this is how you should live. So now we get to this resolution. Verse 22. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. So through Peter and James and the testimonies of Paul and Barnabas, the council has now agreed that circumcision would not be a requirement of salvation. And they agree to send a statement. We see in verse, verses 33 through 29 in the letter. So they sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. Verse 28 here is pretty important. It says, no greater burden. The apostles and the elders agree that there should be no greater burden. Nothing but grace. Okay, we're not putting stipulations on things. It's grace. Now we see an encouragement here in verses 30 through 32. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch. And having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. So again, remember... The Gentiles now. They've been hearing from these people, your salvation isn't good enough. You haven't earned it. You have to do these things. And I'm sure they're probably there and they're like, well, is it real? Is it not? We believe it's real. And now we're being told by these men. What happens? Paul and Barnabas go up. And I go, Let's go settle this once and for all. 
So I'm not sure, you know, what they were thinking during that time while Paul and Barnabas were gone, but I'm sure there hadn't been still some debate, some confusion. They return with a letter that says there's no greater burden to your salvation. It's legit. It's real. Just like you thought it was. Imagine them receiving this letter. It says they rejoiced. I bet they did. How encouraging must it have been for them? Man, they waited. Who knows how long they waited, but it had to have been a while. And they come back in this letter and they're like, don't tell me. No, there's no greater burden. Their salvation was real and truly a free gift of God. It says after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. So the story concludes with Paul and Barnabas doing what they do best teaching and preaching. But what a breakthrough for the early church. What a relief for the Gentiles. Probably a little bit of a relief for Paul and Barnabas. I mean, they had lived it, seen it, believed it. But there was always that but clause in there. And what a relief for us today right? There's no greater burden. If the worship team could join me. So there's a few things that we need to take home with us today from this passage. We need to remember four things. Number one, we cannot fulfill the law. Paul says in his letter to the Romans, chapter 3, verse 20, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. So those doubts and failures I mentioned beginning to carry are real. And I'm going to say something that contradicts our society and our culture. And Nike, you can't do it. You can't be good enough. You can't give enough. Can't do enough. Can't sing loud enough. Can't pray long enough. Can't obey enough laws. Can't do enough works. There is nothing that you can do to earn salvation. In fact, the reality is you simply don't deserve it at all. Bobby, that's a crappy point to make. I know. But don't forget this one. So point one, you cannot fulfill the law 
point two is that we need a savior. So if then we are dead to sin and dead in our trespasses against God, we're not able to save ourselves, we recognize and understand that we need a savior. If we can't fulfill the law, there's nothing we can do, well, we need somebody else to do it for us. Point three, Jesus is the Savior. Romans 3, 23 through 25 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. So we cannot fulfill the law. We need someone to do it for us. We need a savior. That savior is Jesus. And in this grace, this is point number four, in this grace we rejoice. Paul says in Ephesians, we are saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves, rather by a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If it were by our works, we boast about it, right? It wouldn't be about him it would be all about us. Look what I did. Look what I do. Yet it is by grace alone, through faith alone. And in that we rejoice. And in Him we boast. With every morning light, again, we are redeemed. Every day. Not by our works but by His. Though we don't deserve it, though we, des de we deserve death, what does He give us? Life. Every day gives us new life. And church, this is certainly worth rejoicing over. Amen? Amen. Amen. You pray with me again. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You again for this amazing amazing grace Lord we thank you that, that there's nothing that we can do to earn it Lord we, we know that we don't deserve it but there's nothing we can do to, to overcome that there's no greater burden placed on us which should man the peace that we should should know because of that Lord, it's by your grace. It's because you love us so much. You want us to be redeemed back to you. We're incapable of it. So you sent your son, the Savior, who paid the penalty for our sins, who, who bore the death that we deserved, Lord, so that we would have life in his resurrection. Lord, I pray for everyone that's here this morning that they would know this. 
that they would know this truth, Lord, and that they would recognize and understand and just let go of everything that they're holding on to. And they would see that this grace is free. This gift of salvation is free and it's for them too. Everyone means them. Lord, I thank you for this word. I thank you for this truth. Again, I thank you for this amazing, amazing grace. It's in Jesus' name that we thank you, praise you.